Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday, Simpoesis, streaming to you from the Gerigal land of the Eora Nation. My name is Ira, and I'm joined this morning by artist Rene Pepita to talk about their latest exhibition, untitled This Too is Beautiful, currently showing at the Airspace Gallery in Merrickville. Untitled This Too is Beautiful explores the medical made lyrical. It includes installation, performance and sound to look at the ways our bodies and their movements have been limited, neutralized and politicized in the hospital environments and how we can reclaim these spaces and relationships. Renee, good morning and thank you for joining us on Eastside. I'd like to start with the title of the exhibition, Untitled, This Too is Beautiful. I'm curious, what is this that is also beautiful? Thanks, Ira. Um, when I title something, I always start with the word untitled, and then there's always a question mark about whether or not I include something in parentheses or, or brackets afterwards. The this is to a certain extent, intentionally ambiguous. Um, I like leaving things open for audience members or participants or those who are interacting with my work uh, for them to imagine or feel or sense what I might be referencing or putting their own kind of space and place and feelings into that. So they have a sense of collaboration uh, with the work. I think this for me sort of obliquely refers to the things that we might consider functionally less beautiful. <laughs> um, so if I sort of reflect on that a little bit further, you know, often we go through medical procedures where we might be operated on and we subsequently have scars. And those scars in a traditional sense are not considered beautiful, but in another way they are because they're signs of healing and repair and um, care that's been given to us and our bodies. And so if we think about some of the things, particularly in a, in a medical environment or in a health context that we might consider ugly, how can they be reimagined re to also be beautiful? And so, yeah, that's essentially where the title has, has come from and, and what it means to me. But I'm, I'm also really open to others joining into that conversation and having their own interpretation. Mm. And so now you have uh, briefly touched on this idea that medical is made lyrical. And you spoke about wanting to point to the beauty of a scar or scars that we have. What inspired you to want to delve into this project? Why was this theme particularly important to you to speak about, to search for the beauty in something that might be seen as object or painful why is it important mm. to point to the beauty in pain or to reclaim something through that yeah it's 
often with things that I'm working on, they tend to sort of bubble away in the background. There's a trigger of some kind which starts a thought process and then it's a little bit like a fermentation over over time. In this case, over, over several years, if I sort of go back a little bit to the, the impetus, um, I was suffering from quite debilitating headaches and was sent by my wonderful GP to go to get a sort of MRI scan. Lying in this machine in, in one of their sort of scratchy, uncomfortable gowns and the nurse or the assistant comes to me and says, you know, you need to put on the headphones because they're incredibly loud, these machines. And then she proceeded to ask me what sort of music I wanted to listen to. <laughs> And I just sort of said the first thing that came to my mind, which was, I think, jazz. Um, needless to say, the kind of um, your experience in one of those machines, the, the jazz definitely didn't drown out the, the sort of noise of it. And at the time, I was thinking about that sort of the body and the sound and that sort of interrelationship with the machine. And then when I left, I didn't want to throw away the scratchy sort of blue gown that I had. Um, and so I took it, I shoved it into my handbag, probably a little bit naughtily, and took it with me. We all have different experiences of, of medical environments. And I think particularly during COVID lockdowns, um, even if you've never been hospitalised, the, the pandemic made real for everyone in a slightly different way what it means to face the spectre of illness on a on a global scale and so that then led to limitations that included real physical limitations and bodily limitations and unfortunately for some people who got sick or lost loved ones those things became very real, but I, there's sort of a, a, a multi-layered aspect um, to the work. And so, you know, if I think about subsequent medicalized experiences, um, I was at the start of the year in, in hospital with my daughter who had acute appendicitis. And I found that at the time I was looking for not things so much that would distract her but in the grey of the the bed and the grey of the linoleum on the floor and the grey of the walls and uh, trying to find things within that environment that were things of beauty or aesthetically pleasing so I would stand by the window some days and describe the colours that people were wearing as they walked past and I could see them, which she couldn't because she was in her hospital bed or the way the light captured on the leaves of the tree just outside our window or the reflection through a stained glass window, which was in an adjacent building. So trying to observe those things and bring them into what was a sort of really neutralised space was really important. So yeah, I think there were multiple things going on for me. Mm. In these experiences, as you speak about the greyness of the hospital environment, were you considering 
the impact on the speed of healing that this color has and whether if we brought a bit more brighter color into these environments, if we would heal faster or easier? Is this something that you considered maybe? I haven't specifically considered, but obviously as an artist, I think color plays a really important role in our in our lives. Um, we know that individuals react differently to different colors. And so I expect there's a sort of a, a practical, much more sort of both economic and health-related reason why, for instance, neutral colours are, are often utilised in, in hospital environments. And I do think increasingly contemporary hospital environments are seeking ways of introducing uh, colour or shape or those sorts of things where they can. And there is increasingly sort of more research to understand both things like sounds within hospitals, how they impact our ability to, to heal, and that's both sounds that we can and can't hear, the kind of spaces that we interact with, the access that we're allowed or not allowed to loved ones, so things like, you know, visiting times have substantially changed. If you sort of think back over you know, the last 10 or so years, um, spaces and places for families within the, the hospital environment. But I do, I do think that we generally as human beings, particularly in times of trauma or stress, seek out glimpses, be that colour or, or other things where we're going to feel more nurtured, yeah? And so that absolutely then assists with both the emotional healing as well as the, the physical healing. Before we delve a bit deeper into the exhibition itself, which comprises of installation, sound and performance, and is collaboration with a choreographer and a sound artist, and we'll speak more about that, I just want to stay for a tiny bit longer in the research process for this work, you spoke a bit about your own experiences with hospitals. Uh, I'm also curious whether in researching this topic, you maybe spoke to other people about their experiences with hospital environments, uh, whether maybe you read some written research or books around the topic. What was, what was your process like in putting the ideas together? So it was uh, quite layered. There was an aspect, obviously, which was personal, some of those things we've talked about. I also read uh, quite a bit of literature, um, which is provided to people within hospital environments, which I found quite fascinating on several levels, both because of the sort of types of language that gets used, which is often sort of neutral. <laughs> um, there was some sort of reading that I did and conversations with other people. I really felt, though, that the work should, while it's referencing 
hospital environments or or medical states it's not necessarily about trying to recreate that within the gallery space and so yeah i think there's the the impetus and the undercurrent and the inspiration but then obviously that becomes open then to sort of artistic interpretation so I wouldn't want people to feel as if they were walking into a medical environment when they were walking into the gallery space. And one of the, well, the thing that you have focused on in this exhibition in terms of installation is the hospital gown. And as you mentioned, when you had this experience in the hospital yourself, it was one object that you were compelled to take and put in your bag. Why the gown? Why was that appealing to you to focus on this particular object within this environment rather than anything else? What have occurred to me specifically about the gown is the sort of way it neutralises the body. I'm really interested in the choices that we make as humans about what we place on our body, be that sort of jewellery or other objects or clothing really is an extension of who we are. It's a way of signifying aspects of our personality or, you know, it's an outward sign. There's also times when when it's just very practical. We're cold, so we put on a jumper or whatever, but the choice of the colour or the materials or all of those sorts of things is, is becomes quite a personal one. And the fascinating thing about a hospital gown, which when you say the term gown, you think of something much more luxurious and fabulous than a, than a, a scratchy sort of artificial <laughs> one-size-fits-all genders, etc. cetera. Um, yeah, it was playing both with it from a language perspective, but also trying to point to the neutralizing aspects of that and unpack it a little bit and so you know the hospital gown in some ways is a symbol of what despite the best intentions of medical staff often happens to us in those environments is that we feel stripped of agency Yeah, Mm -hmm. we feel our choices are reduced and to a certain extent they are. Um, We enter into what I like to think of as this sort of liminal space where time doesn't have the same flow or meaning or sense. Sometimes it's really accelerated. Sometimes it feels incredibly elongated. And so... The gown works as a as a sign of of what happens to us and our sense of individualism. It's a it's a yeah a sign or a symbol of that, and so then inverting that and reimagining that gown from exactly the same pattern as the one that I took out of the hospital, and recreating that in beautiful fabrics with embellishments so they become objects of desire and aestheticism and they 
interact very differently with the body. And so that is, for me, a, a sign of that sort of reclaiming individuality, reclaiming back our, our humanness. You're on Eastern Radio, 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday, Sympoesis, and we are in conversation with Aris Renee Pepita, talking about their latest exhibition, Untitled, This Too is Beautiful, currently showing at the Airspace Gallery in Merrickville. This exhibition explores the medical made lyrical. It comprises of an installation, a sound work, and live performances, and is a collaboration between Renee and musician Vic McEwan and choreographer Linda Luke. Renee, you mentioned something interesting there, how you were intrigued by the language perspective of this word gown, which suggests something luxurious. As an artist who is also a writer, you are a poet, apart from making object exhibitions. I was also curious whether at any point in developing this work, you were writing alongside and if at any point you were considering to incorporate maybe some of your texts within this exhibition or this work, or is this something that might emerge afterwards? Yeah, in fact, it was a discussion that I'd had with my two collaborators who you've briefly mentioned previously, Ira, uh, whether or not we would jointly write a sort of an accompanying catalogue essay to sort of talk through the process that we went through and also some of our reflections as we went through that process. So unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, we sort of ran out of time, but it's definitely something that we are considering. I feel that my relationship to language since I've started writing has substantially sort of changed and evolved. And so thinking about how that practice influences my arts practice is for me a sort of a next step in an, in an evolution. So uh, an accompanying written piece or a, a catalogue uh, while on the one hand is not unusual, uh, you know, we often see that when we go to to exhibitions or, or to galleries, but thinking about it as a sort of parallel creative practice is the thing that I'm most interested in exploring. And I've been reading quite a bit about poets who are particularly interested in the embodied aspects of poetry, you know, how we think about breath, mm -hmm. how do we think about body in relation to words and writing. And so it's been great to sort of come back to a, a more visual arts practice, but have that sort of walk alongside my writing practice and seeing how those two things inform and, and evolve over time. Another thing that was interesting to me when you spoke about your approach to the gowns, you said how you turned them or they became objects of desire and attention. And there is something quite philosophical and maybe morally philosophical in that for me is that 
in some way this hospitalization is not meant to be something desirable or something that we want to aestheticize in a way because it's something to be avoided. So to turn that into something beautiful or something that we might want to put on this gown is an interesting philosophical paradox in some way. Is this how you are seeing it as well or is that my reading? Yeah, I absolutely think it it is a paradox. In some ways, it doesn't make a lot of sense in some ways. I think the other thing that's interesting is is the exhibition, particularly the performance, which we could talk a little bit more about, sort of exposes aspects of the hospital gown, which in some ways makes us more vulnerable. So I don't know if you've ever sort of wandered down the corridor of a hospital wearing one of those gowns and you you realise halfway down you're sort of your bum sticking out and <laughs> you wonder whether or not you're, you've got the right undies on or, or whatever. Um, and so ironically or not ironically, intentionally, we're also playing with that that vulnerability in relation to our bodies and how we feel when we wear something that slips or doesn't quite fit us properly or all of those sorts of things. So, so yes, the gowns are beautiful and luxurious and that's functioning on one level. And at the same time, from a functional perspective, they're working like a medical gown. They don't quite cover us properly. And when we, move in them they sort of slip and expose parts of our body that we wouldn't normally expose when we're walking down the street and there's a bit of there's a bit of humor in that and a bit of yeah just um pointing to it for for what it is Mm. you mentioned the performance and we'll come to that in a minute Before we do that, because the performance responds to this other part of the exhibition, and that is the sound, which was made with one of your key collaborators, Vic McKeown. Can you speak a bit about the sound element of the work? How did you approach Vic and how did he then approach making the soundscape that is the part of the exhibition and that is in the space of the gallery throughout the show? Yeah, so Vic's a contemporary Australian artist who's been practising for for a long time. I've known Vic and have worked with him quite closely, often on, uh, in fact, both Linda, Luke and myself uh, were part of the board of the CAD factory where Vic is artistic director, which is really how we ended up spending quite a bit of time. Around sort of 2015, Vic started working in hospital environments, recording or exploring the effects of noise on on patients. He specifically was working in Alder Hay uh, Children's Hospital in Liverpool in in the UK. Uh, He was asked in residence there and went back over several years. And really, as both a musician and an artist, he was interested in both the sounds of medical machines, but also he recorded uh, conversations with medical staff, um, things like heartbeats, 
etc. And re envisaged those into incredible pieces of music, really. And so that work led to sort of several outcomes which I was familiar with. And uh, more recently, as a PhD candidate, he's just completed, um, he was the first artist working at the Faculty of Medicine at Sydney University. He was specifically working with uh, the Sydney Facial Nerve Clinic, which deals with people who've had strokes or other facial um, nerve injuries and has created an instrument based on that experience, like a, like a harp. And mm. so both the recordings from hospital environments plus the recording of him playing that harp which is you know tuned together with a with an amazing sydney based pianist uh he's created these you know beautiful musical works um and so yeah i think as i was developing the work there was a lot of the conversations I'd had with Vic that was going through my mind. And so it really, it always seemed from the very beginning a really integral part of, of the project. And it was great that he was happy, happy to be involved. The, the pianist that you're mentioning is Chris Abrahams, just to mention Correct. to our listeners because um, our listeners will well know that name, of course. And Vic's, um, music or the soundscape that he created really shifts from quite disturbing sounds to something quite lyrical and beautiful again creating this ambiguity or this tension between the environment that shifts from horrific to beautiful and there seems to be a sort of dramatic arc almost or a narrative of a sort to that sound have you thought of it in that way that you wanted those dramatic shifts or peaks? Yeah, so the interesting thing was as we started to work with a variety of, of fixed pieces, um, how they could be glued together to create almost different scenes within the, the performance that could reflect different aspects of of the kind of lived experience and so what's evolved throughout the discussions and the sort of collaboration efforts is a, a kind of sequencing to create a bit of a, a journey that has different peaks and different troughs both for the viewers but also for the performers themselves and yeah because you know, whether or not we're going through a health episode of our own or we're supporting others through a health episode or, you know, we're experiencing related constrictions, there are peaks and troughs within that. And so 
trying to ensure that it wasn't all the same, <laughs> I think is, is really important. And, you know, Vic has a story about each of the pieces that, that we've ended up using in, in the performance that was quite specific to the work that he was doing at the time and how he was processing that. So one of them was the recording of a heartbeat of a particular patient in Alderhey Children's Hospital who he built a really close working relationship with, which he took to a place in Scotland high in the mountains, which is apparently the place on earth where sound lasts the longest. And he climbed into this amazing oil tanker and played the sound of a single her single heartbeat which then reverberated for two minutes and that wasn't just about the sound it was about the relationship he had with that particular patient and the journey of carrying traveling from the hospital and carrying that in underground recording it and then taking it back and reimagining it in in different environments for me just brings depth to both the exhibition and and the performance there's yeah there's real lived experience that exists in in those sounds You are on ESA Radio 89.7 FM, listening to a conversation with Aris Rene Pepita. We are talking about their latest exhibition, untitled This Too is Beautiful, which looks at the ways medical could be reimagined or reclaimed as lyrical, and is currently showing at the Airspace Gallery in Merrickville. Beside the installation of refashioned hospital gowns and an immersive soundscape of medically reimagined hospital sounds, the exhibition also includes several live performances, the last two of which you can experience at the end of this week on Saturday 16 and Sunday 17 December at the Airspace Gallery in Merrickville. Renee, four times during the exhibition, the installation of the gowns is activated by live performances. And as you mentioned, these live performances respond to the sound as well that Vic has created. Why was this element of liveness important to you, incorporating the performance element into the exhibition? So I think... um... Classifications aren't always super helpful, particularly as a, as a creative, but I would probably say that, you know, the vast majority of my works include performance of, of some kind. It's a, it's a mode that I enjoy exploring, and I, I know it's a, a term that's quite open to interpretation, 
for me, it often means or often usually simply means inhabiting. So being present and as an artist, which is primarily concerned with the relation between things. So I'm less concerned about objects themselves and I'm much more interested in the in the relation between those things be they human to human be they human to environment human to object object to human you know there's lots of different ways that you can the meaning is in that relation the meaning isn't inherently within the object or the environment or the or the human and so placing the body sort of temporarily into a space or a place or in relation to others, you sort of displace the role of the artist as as author and you create a lot more space for meaning to come from multiple places. Mm. And, you know, if we turn that then back in terms of the themes that we've been talking about, you know, everyone's own experience of be it hospital or other medical environments is truly unique and so the last thing you want to try and do as an artist is to speak on behalf of (laughs) all of those experiences and so you really want the borders to be really fluid and I think performance and in particular sort of activating the gowns creates a much sort of greater degree of sort of fluidity. It was funny after one of the performances, one of the amazing performers who I'm working with sort of turned to me and and said, now they have been danced, now they've changed. (laughs) It was like the gowns took on a life of their own once we hung them back up on the wall. I'm actually curious also about this aesthetic of a blank wall that is in the space once the gowns are taken off it because we have these two different exhibitions right one is when you come into a space of stillness when there are gowns installed six of them alongside the room and we are immersed into the soundscape we are alone in the space potentially absorbing this environment And then there is something completely different when we come into the exhibition where there is no object that is installed for us to look at from a distance. And we see the blank walls, the white walls, and we see the six performers wearing the gowns and performing the choreography that we'll speak more about. Is this aesthetic of a blank wall something that you have also considered or reflected on, or does it represent something to you? That's that's very insightful. Yes, absolutely. And I think the blank wall, particularly in a gallery, is the opposite of what we expect. Our, our usual experience of walking into an exhibition is seeing static immovable and at times depending on which kind of gallery we're in untouchable things on the walls yeah and and so I'm intentionally playing with that you know what does it mean when there's nothing there you know or there's empty hooks hanging out of the walls essentially Uh, so you're subverting what a gallery space would 
or how our gallery space would normally function. But you're also, yeah, activating it because because of the performance aspect. It was interesting because there were, you know, in a couple of the performances, people have come up to me afterwards saying, oh, I only came partway through the performance, so they hadn't seen the installation. And so they were very confused then when <laughs> the performers undressed and put the gowns up on the wall. I found that quite enjoyable because it was sort of like the reverse <laughs> of what we we're expecting expecting to see. Yeah, so there's there's lots of elements going on in that. You have mentioned now coming halfway through the performance. How long is the performance? And does the performance itself, we spoke a bit about this idea of a narrative arc that maybe the music has, does the performance itself have that kind of narration so it's advisable to actually come to it from the beginning to the end? Or can we actually walk in the middle and still can it convey something to us even if we don't see the whole thing? Yeah, so the, the performance itself is runs for about 25 to 30 minutes. It's a little bit fluid because of the way that it starts and finishes. There is, there is a definite sort of beginning. I won't kind of necessarily reveal what that what that is. But like anything, it's meaningful if you come partway through, you can still experience the different aspects of, of the performance because it moves together with the sound through several different experiential layers that have quite different references. So there's a part, part way through, which was quite heavily inspired by Mermations, which are those beautiful flights of starlings that you see. Uh, I've never seen in real life because I haven't um, been in Europe at the time when, when they're flying, but where you have these incredible cloud formations of these birds as they fly sort of at dusk and, and dawn. And so that was the image that the choreographer and I were sort of thinking about and holding through uh, one portion of, of the performance. So there are not vignettes, but there are different aspects of the performance that are informed by different visual references. Choreographer that you mentioned, their name is Linda Luke. I'm aware that Linda is known as a body better practitioner, which is a particular form of movement practice that you also engage in. So maybe you can tell a bit to our listeners what body better is. Speaking from your perspective, I'm aware that you are not professional within that field, but I would love to hear what body better is for you and why you respond to that particular practice. Body Weather, as you know, era was founded in Japan by Min Tanaka during the sort of 80s and, and 90s and was brought to Australia by Tess De Quincey, who started De Quincey Co. And Linda has been part of that company for quite a number of years. She's also an amazing educator and incredible performer in her own right, so when I first met 
Linda and she started to talk to me, you know, as you always do, you ask, you know, what's your arts practice and what do you do? Um, she started to explain body weather to me and I was I was like, um, oddly enough, we were at a board meeting and I said, okay, well, I'm the chair, so I get to make these decisions right now. We're all going to stand up and do a body weather class, impromptu body weather class. <laughs> and Linda, being the gracious person that she is, she was like, okay. <laughs> um, and I think from there, my exploration of it deepened. There are a couple of things that really attracted me to it. The sort of underlying concept of the body never being fixed, sort of always transforming, being sort of decentered. Because if I go back and think about my relational arts practice, you know, relations is never static. It's it's always shifting and moving and shape changing. So that's the first aspect, I think, which really works for me. So there's really close philosophical alignment between how I think about my creative practice and the sort of underlying philosophy of body weather. The other thing which is really important is that I love in body weather, and this is my own interpretation, is the most enormous things are important and the smallest, tiniest things are equally as important. There's no discrimination between them. So you can move to or in relation to the whole arc of a landscape, a cliff backdropped by a rising moon, or you can move to or be in relation to a rock weighing on your chest or move to or be in relation to a blade of grass blowing. And all of those things are powerful in their own right and meaningful in their own right and create inspiration in their own right. For me, that talks to the fact that, you know, there is so often as human beings, we put ourselves artificially at the top of a hierarchy and the damage that does is substantial and so having a way of relating to the world both through the body and through movement but also to play with that sense of hierarchy I think is quite profound. One of the key elements of body better from my understanding is working with images and what I mean by that is that we as movers are led through the process of embodying different entities which is where this hierarchy melts this entity could be a physical object non-organic object or many different organic objects and one of the images that you just mentioned is this mermation of birds I'm curious why and how does this image relate to this uh, overall theme of the exhibition, which is medical, made lyrical? How did this particular image fit in? One of the themes that I'm exploring is this idea of um, 
just trying to, to think of the right word. Uh, joy is probably one of the words which definitely comes comes to mind. Um, care, um, embrace. And so if I start to explore those things in a way where I sort of go, how do I tap into that or think about that the collective this idea of a collective starts to to emerge and I've read a little bit about mermations and how they occur two theories are similar to fish shoaling that it's either to protect them from prey or it's so that they collect food And so there's this idea of collective care, so a group working together to achieve a shared outcome, which is ultimately about the ongoing health and well-being of the group. And so images like that, which are visually beautiful, but also play with a couple of the themes that the exhibition explores become important to the movement and and the performance aspects. That was Aris Renee Pepita, and we were talking about their latest exhibition, untitled This Too is Beautiful, currently showing at the Airspace Gallery in Merrickville. Untitled This Too is Beautiful looks at the ways medical could be reimagined as lyrical. It includes installation, performance, and sound to look at the ways our bodies and their movements have been limited, neutralized, and politicized in the hospital environments and how we can reclaim these spaces and relationships. You have two more chances to experience the live activation of this work with live performances scheduled for this Saturday and Sunday at 1.30 p.m. on the 16th and 2 p.m. on the 17th December. Head to airspaceprojects.com.au for more information. I will now play a track that was made for this exhibition by Renee's collaborator, Vic McEwen, who has melodically reimagined the soundscape of hospital environment. This track is made of field recordings and the composition performed by Chris Abrahams. You are on Eastside Radio 2. 